and welcome to Spy Hard's DE Classifier, where we bring you the latest intel straight from our mysterious spy network. But remember, this information is strictly for your ears only. I'm Agent Scott. And I'm Cam the Provocateur. And Cam, before we introduce the movie of the week, why don't you tell the listeners exactly what a declassified episode is? Yes, declassified episodes are our new kind of off-the-cuff, a little more relaxed looks at newer movies. So, you know, for example, when No Time to Die comes out, we don't want to do a full episode yet because the details of the behind the scenes aren't fully fleshed out. We don't have the bigger picture of the box office. We want to be able to just give you quick takes on new movies that, you know, we know a lot of people running out to see a new movie want to talk about it. And we can't really do that in our format week to week. So we want to have these special episodes that uh, kind of continue the conversation in our own way. And we're generally saving this for maybe the bigger titles out there, or if we're maybe lucky enough to have a screener for a film that we can bring to you as well ahead of time. But usually it's kind of an instant take on something that's just come out in the theatres. Right, yes. And we've done um, Without Remorse um, on this series, as well as The Courier. So you can check those out in your feed as well. But uh, Cam, what film were we talking about this week? We're talking about a little independent film called Black Widow, put out by this, you know, fresh-faced upstart company called Marvel. Never heard of him, mate. Oh. I know, hmm. right? They're also working with this company called Disney? Something like that? Hmm. Is that the one with the mouse with the weird voice? No, I think it's a, I think it's like a duck or something. Oh, no, that's Warner Brothers. Right. Oh, yeah. right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, so Black Widow, uh, Cam and I both saw it over the weekend. It came out on Wednesday the 7th in theatres, and I believe Friday the 9th on Disney Plus, where you have to pay the subscription fee to watch it. Uh, I saw it in theatres, and Cam, you watched it on Disney, right? I paid an exorbitant amount of money to watch it at home on my Disney Plus. That is correct. Uh, And was it worth it? Well, maybe before we talk about that, I'm just curious your background with the Marvel Universe. Um, are you a fan of the Marvel Universe? What are your favorite Marvel movies? Uh, favorite Marvel movies? I am a fan of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I, I followed it all the way through from Iron Man to now. Um, I'd say my favorite is probably Guardians of the Galaxy 1. Mm-hmm. Maybe Guardians of the Galaxy 2 and Thor Ragnarok are in there. And Endgame probably would round off the top four. For me, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I've been a uh, loyal watcher of the Marvel series since the beginning. I'm a big superhero movie fan. I tend to favor a lot of the ones that fall outside of Marvel, like the ones that feel a little more director-driven, like the Sam Raimi Spider-Mans or the Tim Burton Batmans. But I have very much enjoyed the Marvel movies, and I would say my favorites have been Captain America Civil War, Captain America Winter Soldier, the original Avengers, uh, and I would actually agree with you that the, for me, the first two Guardians of the Galaxy films really stand out as well. Yeah, I, they don't really disappoint me. Even the middle of the road ones are usually fine to watch. There's, there's a couple of uh, bad examples of MCU films, but I don't, maybe apart from those two off the top of my head, I can't think of one I've gone to cinema and been completely disappointed by. Yeah, it's like you have Thor The Dark World and you have um, um, Iron Man 2. Those are the weakest ones and they're like two star movies which eh, it's a shoulder shrug. Like we've talked about far worse movies on our spy hearts podcast that would ever be comparable to a, uh, you know, Marvel two-star movie. Like they're, they're fine. They just don't live up to what the good ones are. No, exactly. I actually watched Iron Man two before going to the cinema to see 
Black Widow to sort of see the beginning of the character versus mm-hmm. where she ends up. Uh, so that was actually quite interesting uh, uh, thing to chart as well. But uh, yeah, it, it still hasn't improved my opinion on Iron Man 2, unfortunately. <laughs> Maybe they'll go back to it the way they did Thor The Dark World in a uh, Avengers film and suddenly redeem the entire experience. He just wants his boot. He wants his boot. Mickey Rourke's great in that movie. Uh, sure, sure. <laughs> but <laughs> you're asking what I thought of Black Widow. I went into Black Widow with real low expectations. I thought the marketing for this movie was pretty terrible. Um, weirdly, I think Marvel actually has bad trailers for the most part. You get the odd good one, like the Thor Ragnarok teaser or the Guardians, the first one teaser. Um, those ones are pretty strong. But by and large, Marvel marketing is really bland. And yet DC marketing is actually really strong. It's just that the quality of the movies waiting for you is like reversed. You have with DC, great trailers, bad movies. And with Marvel, you have bad trailers, good movies. So I saw the Black Widow marketing. It was like, oh, this looks very much like generic Marvel movie number 432. I'm not really building up my hopes for this one too much. I'm going to focus more on you know, maybe something like Shang-Chi or Eternals, which feel like they might do something I haven't seen a billion times in a Marvel movie. But I will say this. I thought Black Widow, I enjoyed Black Widow, and I thought it felt like it was doing things that were quite different from a Marvel movie. I talked to my sister on the phone about it after watching it, and we both agreed it didn't really feel like a Marvel movie in a lot of ways. It had Mm. obvious connections, um, characters we've seen before, but in terms of what it was trying to do, in terms of, I thought the seriousness of the movie, um, it felt, I don't, I feel like it may frustrate some people that are going to see a Marvel, you know, copyright logo movie. I feel like it's doing weird things that fit very well into our spy genre, but I'm not sure that like superhero fans are going to be that happy. To that, I would disagree. I think there's a lot for Marvel fans in here. I, I, one of my grievances with the film, but I'll get to my overall thoughts in a second, is that it had an opportunity to really strip back on what the Marvel films have done. Because if you look at where the character started, as I alluded to, I watched Iron Man 2. She's just a, an assassin mm. with some gadgets. Whereas in this film, she's basically flying from the sky and like superhero landing all the time. It's She's become like a, a flanderization of herself. Which is fine and it works, but I, I I saw this film as an opportunity to sort of explore what the Red Room meant. And I mean, spoilers, it turns out it's just a castle in the sky. That's not a stripped back story. That's a full on, complete Marvel story. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I was kind of hoping for that. But I mean, my overall thoughts on this film are that it was an enjoyable film. I, I actually quite enjoyed watching it. It went by super quick in the theatres. I think it was a really good epitaph for Black Widow. I just kept, with, I, I was just left with this nagging sensation that we should have seen this five years ago. Well, I agree 100% there. This should have come out right after Civil War. Um, I don't know why it didn't. It seemed like there was all this weird hesitancy about a Black Widow movie and it took forever for it to happen. This should have, ha- like, this should have come out post that movie. It would have given a little more context for what was going on post-Civil War, because really when we cut back to those characters, they're getting back together for the, you know, Infinity War Endgame two-parter. It's like, okay, well, I guess that was uh, fairly brief. Um, So I think that would have been very helpful. And it would have done, I think, a really good job setting up the demise of Natasha in Endgame, where 
you know, I like the Black Widow character when she died. I was, you know, bummed to see that character go, although I knew that Johansson was going to be probably heading out anyway. But um, you watch this movie, and I think there's a level of meaning to that sacrifice that comes from her relationships in this movie. So I, I think it was just kind of a poor play on Marvel's part to hold on to this Black Widow movie for so long. And the fact that it takes place, you know, post-Civil War, I just am really curious how many mainstream moviegoers even understand that when they watch this movie. They they do try to sort of telegraph it. Right at the start, you have you know, Thunderbolt Ross chasing her. And they're like, oh, the Sokovia Accords. And you're meant to be like, oh, yeah, that's Civil War in your head. But who's paying attention we're we're geeks. We have a podcast yeah. about films. We know this stuff, but the average cinema goer has no idea what the Sokovia Accords even mean. No, and you know a lot of people, you know, mainstream viewers are just going to pop in and out. They may not watch all the movies. They don't really follow the ins and outs of the Sokovia Accords. Uh, so that was the sort of thing where I went, mm, like, you know, how they have those sometimes in older movies. Those, I guess you could say, a little bit clunky openings where they'll show some footage of the previous movie i almost wondered if they should have done something like that for civil war here it's kind of like not graceful in any way shape or form but it would probably help some people out i mean you could have done it from a different perspective it, it could have been like taskmaster watching footage of her fighting sure you know something something uh, maybe using their brain a little bit but i mean overall i don't want to rag on this type of film i in that sense it just bugged me that we had to wait until now whereas it's kind of like they did their legs in at the start of the race yeah we're, we're already on the back foot going we should have seen this five years ago but we'll put that to one side it's a shame we've lost scarlett johansson but she is fantastic in this film i feel like she's finally sort of got into the role and now we've lost her I know. And, you know, you mentioned Iron Man 2. They did not figure out Black Widow for a long time. No. Like you watch that movie and she's kind of a blank. And this is something Marvel did to a number of its female characters. You would say the same about Scarlet Witch. Um, there's been a few. There's been more than a couple. Um, there's the odd guy. Uh, Hawkeye was not particularly well written out of the gate. You had, um, you know, Thor and, uh, and then the first Avengers. So it's something that occasionally marvel does where they write these characters very vaguely and try to figure it out later uh, actually ca uh, captain marvel same boat actually mm. and um black widow suffered from it really badly and i liked what they were doing with that character by the time you got to like um winter soldier and they were pairing her off with captain america but it was always a little bit of an interesting situation where when you look at all the male characters around her, and let's remember she was the only female character for quite a while there, and especially the first Avengers, they all had their wacky banter. They all had their jokes and everything. And her character was always like the serious one. And I wonder if that was part of the reason Marvel was nervous about building a movie around her was that, well, what do we do with the serious character? We don't know how to do that. Even Doctor Strange is cracking jokes left, right, and center. And I thought this movie did a really good job of, opening up her world and making it feel like a fairly intimate character journey for Natasha. And I don't know, like maybe they felt they had to earn a movie that was basically using a character like this, who was more of a low key, not low key, low key um, <laughs> character, a more, you know, emotional internal character in a lot of ways than what we'd seen before. Maybe they felt they had to earn that. I have no idea. I don't understand the decision-making, but yeah. Well, you look at like Thor, for instance, in Thor one, he's boring. 
He's he's just boring. Oh. I don't know. Some of the fish out of water stuff's pretty funny. Okay, I, I I'll take that back. He is in that sense funny, but you look at the Thor you have by Ragnarok or Endgame. He is he has changed several times. He has evolved into a witty character with a deep backstory that you care about. Um, and and now you want to see him in in Thor Thor, hmm. which is a weird thing to say. Um, Thor Love and Thunder, I believe. Um, and and this is why it just bugs me that we didn't have this film after Civil War because. As you said, the impact of her sacrificing herself would have been a lot heavier if you'd known that she had reconciled with her family, reconciled with the Red Room. She had liberated all of these uh, Black Widows Mm -hmm. and, you know, completed her own character journey and then sacrificed herself. Whereas what we got was a heart-wrenching scene with Hawkeye, of course, but maybe not as impactful as it could have been. And And I, from what I've read so far, this film is doing quite well. Yeah, um, box office is kind of weird, you know, as we mm. settle into some sort of post-pandemic normalcy. Um, I shouldn't really say post-pandemic, but as the pandemic seems to be easing off, um, it seems like, you know, the box office is starting to build up and Black Widow did very well. Um, we're going to have more Marvel movies. I don't think there was any uh, any worry of that stopping. Mm. But it is encouraging to see Black Widow do well, just because... You know, this one to me feels like a little bit of a maybe a little bit risky for Marvel. And I don't think Marvel makes risky movies, but I feel like within the blueprints of a Marvel movie, this one felt a little different, a little stranger. And I'm encouraged that people are checking it out and hopefully enjoy it because I would like to see Marvel do more things like this. Like they hired uh, Kate Shortland to direct this movie. And I saw actually one of her early films, Lore, uh, which I believe got her this gig, um, I think. Um, at a uh, film festival, the Vancouver Film Festival here, mm. uh, many quite a few years ago. And that is about a young woman who is fleeing after the Allies are moving into Germany. And she was raised as like a Nazi youth. And it's her sort of realizing the worldview she's been taught versus the reality of the rest of the world that she's discovering throughout the course of the movie. And I thought it was a really, really strong movie. And then I never really heard of Kate Shortland again afterwards. I know she did some television and things like that, but um, she was an interesting choice when I saw her brought into this. And there are sequences off the top where we see young Natasha and her sister, and it had that sort of realistic feel that she brought to lore. And a lot of the character depth, I felt like in the dynamics, were was really strong. And it felt like a director who's very good with characters. Can I, can I make a confession at this point? Sure. In that opening scene, I had no idea... That was Natasha. Oh, really? I just didn't get the similarity. I didn't get what they were going for. I, I, I got that the younger girl was was Florence Pugh's character, and so I eventually figured it out. But I thought it was like a neighborhood friend because it's like she came over and they started playing, whereas they would be in the same house together. And my brain didn't figure that out for a little while. But again, I, as I frequently point out, I am an idiot. So, <laughs> but I mean, Scarlett Johansson is. Probably my second favorite thing about this film, but my my favorite thing about this film has to be uh, Florence Pugh. She is pretty dynamite, and I do think Florence Pugh, who plays um, Yelena Belova, um, the Black Widow's um, 
sister, sort of. Um, mm. It's a complicated family, shall we say. It's a very dysfunctional, functional family. Um, we all have them. Sure. Yeah, this character, you know, has uh, various identities in the Marvel Universe, in the comic world. She's sometimes Black Widow. I believe she's also called White Widow. I think she may have some other names. But um, I think they learned the lessons of Black Widow here with this character and that they didn't start off with strong characterizations in Iron Man 2 and the audience was kind of apathetic to that character for a while. It feels like they'd learned and they said, okay, we need to really nail this character out of the gate. We need to understand her personality, what she wants, why she's so interesting and why we want to follow this character going forward. And I think, you know, I'm hoping that this is going to start a trend of Marvel focusing more on launching these characters out of the gate and making us care about them. Although I watched the marketing for Shang-Chi and I'm not so sure they have learned that lesson, but I thought that Florence Pugh, I mean, this is a movie star performance. Absolutely. I mean, I've been on a bit of a Florence Pugh bend recently. I recently watched Midsummer and the TV version of A Little Drummer Girl. So it feels just like a culmination of my, uh, uh, the Pugh CU, as I like to call it. Uh, <laughs> that that just rolls off the tongue but yeah i think she's fantastic and she instantaneously has her own character that's separate to black widow she's not just a, a carbon copy which it would be easy to do you could just create a new black widow which i suppose they have in a way she probably will assume the identity of black widow but she's her own person completely even in the post credit sting afterwards which we might get onto at the end and you can avoid that if you want um she is her own character. She reacts her own way to situations. But I think the most important thing this film told us is, of course, where Black Widow got her jacket from in Infinity War. <laughs> that was the sort of thing you had to look up after the fact to see if that actually was connecting to anything. Because, yes, there's this whole runner with a vest because Yelena buys this vest and it's the first thing she's ever bought for herself. Because when she was a child, her and uh, Natasha were both recruited into the Red Room, which is like a spy slash assassin agency where they drug the kids and then train them to be killers. And they are very much controlled, so they don't have their own identity. So this vest is the first thing she buys. And there's this whole runner of her commenting on this vest endlessly. Then she gives it to Natasha at the end of the movie. And I'm like, did this pay off in some way? Turns out it did. <laughs> the circle is complete. That's that's why they wait until after Endgame to do this film is just so they can pay off the jacket. Mm -hmm. it's, it's what we've all been clamoring for. It makes sense. I want to talk about one of the weaknesses of the film, and that is Ray Winstone. Yeah. Okay. So, what what did you know? What bothered you about him? It's the fact that he talks and then goes back into a British accent. They did to a Russian accent and back into a British accent. Every ever other word. His accent is atrocious. I was sitting there like, I was pulling my hair out. I just don't think you can criticize his performance if you're going to give David Harbour a pass. I didn't say I gave him a pass. I just think like your hat, you hang your hat on the villain. Sure. David, Har David Harbour is like a, a secondary main character. He's not the main character. Sure, sure. Okay. Um. Yeah, I mean, Dracoff, the villain of this movie, he is, Um. I don't know. Does this movie even really care about him as a villain though? It's more about what he represents than him as an actual villain. But they do give him the big exposition scene at the end. This movie has a lot of James Bond references. Um, at one point, Natasha is sitting watching Moonraker on TV, and she has apparently memorized the movie, which my sister actually brought up a good point. She wonders if there was a cut scene where they were watching it as children, because adults don't memorize movies. Children do. So it would make a lot more sense if that was something the family did. 
I don't know. Um, I thought I'd throw that out there. I, I could see that being the case. Uh, it would make sense to have a scene where the family are watching a film together or something to sort of mm-hmm. give you a scene of the family happy before you get the scene of them being broken up. Yeah, and we have the family singing American Pie. Um, and I'm wondering if they thought we don't need both these things. Let's just cut the um, James Bond one because the music pays off better later on where David Harbour sings with um, Florence Pugh. Like maybe they just for that reason cut it. But nonetheless, so they have this clip of her watching Moonraker and this movie does have a Moonraker Drax-like villain in the um, Drakov character that Ray Winstone plays where he really does give the James Bond villain speech where he lays out his entire plot, why he's doing it. And of course, he is, um, you know, foiled in a not the same way as Drax, but in a, you know, somewhat similar kind of Bond way. And not to mention he's in a castle in the sky. Mm-hmm. You know, he has his same in Moonraker and obviously in space. He has a henchman that's unstoppable. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's quite a lot of over James Bond references and specifically to Moonraker, but I think more just sort of the spy genre. And there is another reference. Uh, I don't know if you picked up on the the Mission Impossible reference cam. Which one? The uh, the unmasking and the uh, the fake faces. Oh yeah 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 yeah. It's uh, maybe a bit more Gucci MCU style, but uh, yeah, I thought that was cool. You also have the free fall battle at the end versus the free fall battle at the start of Moonraker. Mm-hmm. So there's a few things. That one's a little bit looser, I think, um, but. Uh, yeah, like the thing is, the Drakeoff villain character is very much a Bond villain, but I think we also talk about Bond villains as being very charismatic. Like that's kind of what makes them fun, even when they are dry, like Drax. Drakeoff isn't fun. Uh, he's a very ugly character. I think the movie wanders into some pretty dark char- uh, territory with that character that I was a little surprised to see in these more family-oriented Marvel movies. It's almost like it's trying to dip its toe into. Like the Taken film, for instance, yeah, the, uh, the 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 adult version of that, not the the American version, the the eighteen or the X rated version or whatever you like to call it. Um, X rated. <laughs> I, I don't know what the American term is for like R, R rated R. I think is what it is. Yeah, yeah, rated yeah. R. Um, I, it was trying to dip its toes, and this film is being somewhat submersive, and it it's meant to be a sort of backstory film for, for Black Widow. And we've seen tons of these films, you know, the first Captain America, the first Iron Man. And it's completely different, even to more recent ones like um, Captain Marvel. You know, th- this is a completely different origin story in a sense. And, but maybe that's the benefit of having a character that we already know in the origin story. They haven't got to spend so much time setting up who they are. They can just set up the other players. And that's why you get such great performances from like Florence Pugh, as I mentioned. It's not really an origin story. It's about a character grappling with their origin story. So we get little bits. We get flashbacks, obviously, off the top of the movie um, and some pretty strong stuff. I remember watching the opening with her and her family growing up. Mm. You know, David Harbour and Rachel Weisz play her um, parents, um, I suppose, parental figures. And it feeds into a chase. And then the two girls are taken into the red room. And I remember watching that intro and being like, wow, that was like a really strong attention-grabbing opening. If the movie, you know, suddenly turns into a generic Marvel template movie, I'm going to be really frustrated. And I didn't think the movie did. I thought it actually held that tone throughout. I was genuinely surprised. But, um, you know, so much of the movie is, from that point forward, Natasha trying to basically tie up the loose ends of her own backstory. 
Mm. Um, mostly because the character is being written out of the Marvel universe, so we have to tie it up at some point. <laughs> I, I I can't put my finger on exactly the the issue they're trying to tackle with this sort of the misogyny involved. Mm-hmm. You know, this 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 man overpowering all these women and using them as, as basically slaves. Yeah. Um, when, when you boil it down, he's 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 controlling them. Oh yeah. Um, and yeah, there is this kind of subtext of with Natasha trying to bring down the patriarchy in the sense of the red room and what controls it and try and give the lives back to the other women that she went through the same process of. And obviously I, I don't know what they're trying to get at with that. I think there was probably some subtext there as well, but it doesn't hit you over the head with it. Like some other films might, it's kind of there and it's, it's just in the background. Yeah. I mean, you do have that Ray Winstone monologue where, he makes it fairly explicit. Like I, I think some people have uh, taken issue with maybe how on the nose he is. I didn't really mind because I genuinely don't care in a movie like this, if they're going to explain it more. So if there's like young teenagers in the audience that maybe aren't going to connect all the dots, like I think that's the audience this movie should probably speak to more so than me. Who's like a 40 year old male. Mm-hmm. Like what do I need to draw from the black widow movie? versus like a 12 or 13 year old girl for example like it's going to mean more to them so i don't mind if they make it a little more explicit um but uh yes there is very much a sense of um male control in society and the fact that there's a lot of men like Drakoff out there and this is just an example of one who's very extreme and evil and natasha bringing him down i thought it works and i was genuinely I don't know why I was surprised the movie went there. Um, I probably should have just seen this coming the whole time, but I didn't expect the sort of um, male overlord concept to be something waiting for me at the end of the movie. I I didn't see it, but I wasn't that involved in watching trailers for this film. I had no particular idea about it going into it. Um, but I'm not surprised looking at Marvel's track record with female-led films. Yeah, I feel like they they have sort of a point to prove with them. But this one felt like it was tackling it thematically versus like, you know, Captain Marvel has some good subtext going on. I think there's like moments in there where you go, that's quite clever what they're doing. Mm. Um, but then like they'll do something that's really kind of um, pandering, you know, like the um, no, no Doubt song during the fight scene. Or shooting a True Lies cardboard cut out in half. Yeah, just things where you kind of groan a little bit and you go yeah. okay let's move on because that that was a little that fell a little flat let's move on to actually something interesting um here it felt like they just really woven it into the fabric of the movie like i didn't feel like this one had the awkwardness we've seen in captain marvel um marvel's been in, i think in general relatively good when they've tried to do this um although i say that and then i flash back to captain marvel and I flash back to the scene in Endgame where all the female characters who have never gotten their own movies all get together in one big battle scene and have about 30 seconds of screen time. So maybe Marvel's not the best at this. Maybe I shouldn't be giving them compliments. Maybe I should be saying, this one does it better than what I've seen in the past. And I, But there's also a point to concede that it, neither of those things are aimed at us. No. Yeah. Um, maybe they mean more to people that they're aimed at. And, and I can concede that. And that's fine. Uh, but to praise this film, uh, Black Widow, I, I feel like they walk that tightrope a bit better than the other films have so far, and that's a that's credit to um, that's credit to Kate Shortland's direction, I think, as well. You know, it's no easy task having one of these films. No, especially it's the second female-led 
film. It probably should have been the first one, really. Mm-hmm. Um, she had a lot to prove, and I think she she did a terrific job with it. And I think what really helps this movie a lot is the dynamic of the family. Um, I didn't really ever expect that to be the case for a Black Widow movie. I always just assumed it would be a little more of a straightforward, you know, Bourne or James Bond-style spy movie, and that would be the gist of it. Um, bringing in this sort of unlikely family unit with Rachel Weisz and um, David Harbour, I thought was genius because it actually exposed sort of a vulnerability and an inner life of Natasha we would never see in a Marvel movie where we get this family dynamic. We get this squabbling foursome at a dinner table. These are the scenes that really, I thought, brought the movie to life for me. I mean, Marvel action, all that sort of stuff, I don't think it's sort of a open secret uh, that Marvel's not that good at action or not that good at visual movies. Like when you look at what DC does, uh, their movies are much more cinematic than what Marvel does in terms of visuals. Marvel movies are a little bit flat actually to look at. Um, this one, I thought the action was a little more propulsive than most. I thought it was more effective than quite a few of the Marvel movies, but what makes this movie really work is the family dynamic. Like that is what kept me going throughout this movie and entertained and engaged with what I was seeing. I maybe had a little bit of a problem with David Harbour. I don't I don't know what it was. It just maybe just didn't do anything for me. I didn't find him particularly funny. Really? I I think that's what he was going for, that sort of like the numbskull dad. Oh yeah. Especially with those the, the scenes like when he just he's just rescued and he, and he's talking about you know, are they angry because they're on their period? Right. And it, that's played for laughs and I'm, I I just sort of sat there going, hmm. Maybe that's just me. Yeah. It then leads to a whole discussion of a line from Natasha in Avengers Age of Ultron about how they were sterilized in the Red Room program. And it turns into this. The joke is basically that David Harbour's an idiot. Yeah. So I don't mind the context of it. Um, it gets sometimes when Marvel tries to do, I think, knowing commentary on things, it sometimes starts to get a little awkward. Um there's moments like that where they suddenly get a little overly talky. Like they've really got to lay this all out properly, but it feels like, okay, guys, whatever the joke was, the gas is gone out of it. And we're kind of just flailing about waiting for the next scene to happen. I would say about, you know, a totally innocuous scene. You have um, Florence Pugh's character making fun of Natasha for like her superhero stance, which is sort of this crouched position with the hair. And I'm like watching this scene. I'm like, it's not that funny. Like it's more funny to comment on the scene than to actually stand there and awkwardly reenact it and make fun of it. And it's like, this, okay, guys, like, move on. Like, quick, come on. Marvel's known for their quick humor. Stick with the quick humor. Don't do these extended comedic moments. They just feel like they fall flat. I, I have to disagree with you. I laughed. I barely laughed at that scene. Really? I was like, oh, this is awkward. And her, like, her, like repeatedly doing it and, like, flipping her hair back and just thinking, yes, that is absolutely ridiculous. And then she does it later in the film, and she's like, I feel disgusting. <laughs> I, I, I was sitting there laughing at that. Maybe that was me. I thought the I thought her doing it later was funny because it was like her realizing that she had gone into it. But like I felt like the setup was way too labored, way too labored. It was like you could see the machinery cranking. <laughs> I, 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 I suppose I just didn't mind them being a bit meta and I didn't mind them taking their time with the joke. But obviously it sort of wore out its welcome with you. Mm, yeah, that's fine. But, but I, I was I was a I was a huge fan of David Harbour, though. Like, I honestly thought he was. To me, second right behind Florence Pugh for MVP, I thought his character, um, who seems to exist in his own little world where he's like the rival of Captain America, and Captain America's never mentioned this character ever before, 
Um, I thought that was great. I like that he is an idiot. Um, I like, though, that there is like a heart to him. He's someone who's dumb, but you'll have a moment where he's suddenly able to talk to Florence Pugh's character, unlike any of the other people in the movie. So he's someone who means well, but he's just a kind of a, an oaf. And I thought David Harbour killed it. Like, I just thought, you know what? Give this guy a terrible Russian accent, have him lumbering around in this really goofy, you know, um, outfit, and I am happy. Yeah, each to their own. He he didn't do anything for me. The accent, again, was jarring, but definitely nowhere near as bad as Ray Winston's. And I, I think the lovable goof thing just didn't work for me. Hmm. I, I was just kind of not... I, w- I wasn't really laughing at his idiocy, and I wasn't really finding him endearing in those scenes. The only bit I liked, I suppose, is the scene you referenced just before, where they had the scene between him and Florence Pugh right before the house is attacked. That was a nice scene between the two of them, and I appreciate that. But, you know, him just sort of smashy-smashy his way through the film. And, you know, at the start, he's played out to be this, you know, super spy. And then he's just an idiot after being in prison for 20 years. What happened to him? You don't want to know, Scott. Is the gulag that bad? Well, apparently. It it was rough. (laughs) Yeah. I like the little in-joke of uh, Florence Pugh's character referring to him as Crimson Dynamo. That actually got a laugh out of me. That's like the Marvel geek joke right there. And that Crimson Dynamo is an Iron Man villain who's Russian. And the character of Whiplash in Iron Man 2 is actually an amalgamation of a character named Whiplash and a character named Crimson Dynamo. The Ivan Vanko name of Whiplash in Iron Man 2 is actually the name of Crimson Dynamo in the comics. So basically Crimson Dynamo is a Russian dude who wears a Iron Man suit. And I think they felt that was a little too samey to bring in for Iron Man 2 following up Ironmonger. Right. Uh, so they kind of combined him with Whiplash, but I, I enjoyed that joke quite a bit. And, uh, you know, I don't know how many people picked up on that, but I liked it. Well, the question I have about Crimson Dynamo is, does he have his blade? <laughs> he doesn't have a bird, no. Oh. He does not. <laughs> Give the man his blade. Now, yes. we have a villain brought into this movie named Taskmaster. Mm. And um, it's a little bit of a twist as to how they use Taskmaster. I... I'm so conflicted on Taskmaster because I actually think the way it's used in the movie is actually really effective. It has sort of that Terminator vibe, although it's also a little bit similar to Winter Soldier. I like the twist of it being Drakoff's daughter. It's very RoboCop that he's turned his daughter into this unstoppable, you know, cyborg killer. I like that. I'm a little nagged by just the fact I'm very aware of who Taskmaster is in the comics and how much personality that character has. And how much potential that character would have to be so much fun in the movies. And knowing like what we got is in no way reminiscent at all of Taskmaster. So I'm happy with what I got in the movie. But I also feel the regret of what we could have gotten out of a proper Taskmaster. Well, well, let me ask you this. Because I've never read the comics. I have no impression on the character of Taskmaster. It worked for me in the film. Yeah. Is, is what they did to the character akin to uh, Deadpool in the X-Men film? Well, that movie sucks, but yes. <laughs> right. I mean, what the, what they carried over was the ability to copy anyone's fight moves. Um, mm-hmm. That was carried over. Uh, that's about it. Some of the well, the visual design is in some ways similar. Uh, Taskmaster is one of those characters, though. If you Google a photo, very difficult to translate to live action. So what they did was give it more of a mechanized um, look. Uh, that's not in, in the comics. It's more of like a goblin kind of mask sort of look, kind of a, a demon mask. 
with like medieval knight armor and right. uh, a big sword and a white hood and all that sort of stuff. So like it would have been very difficult to do. Um, I understand why they did what they did. I don't have any issue with that. It's more just like I, I'm very I'm not complaining about what we got because I actually think it really works thematically. I think it works in terms of a high tension villain for Natasha to face off with. I thought there was a real fear factor to the character of Taskmaster whenever uh, she showed up. Um, I thought the fight scenes were actually really well done for once in a Marvel movie. A lot of the fist fights are kind of muddy in these movies. I thought these were actually fairly effective. Mm-hmm. Um, just more the potential of like what a Taskmaster could have been versus what we got. I suppose I was more hinting at like with Deadpool, they you know his his name is the Merc with the mouth, and in X Men mm, Origins yeah. Wolverine they sewed his mouth up. Like it, yeah, you're just taking the guy's legs out. Is that kind of what they're missing from Taskmaster? Is is there something that a personality quirk that we're never going to see because she's basically a mute? Well, he's very snarky. He's right. very very snarky, and that's kind of the humor I miss. Like he kind of reminds me a little bit of Skeletor in the old Masters of the Universe cartoons. Like he's just kind of always whining a lot of the time, and he's very snarky, and things annoy him a lot. So like I think there would have been a lot of fun there. Um, I don't know, like, uh, we'll see if Olga Korolenko continues to play Taskmaster. Maybe we get some evolution in that character. Um, maybe there is more of a, uh, you know, kind of snarky commentary on things that are happening. That could be fun. But uh, in this movie, it's not there, obviously. Snarky and whines a lot. I think I understand why you like this character so much, Cam. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> the last thing I want to touch on before we wrap up is, you know, this is one of the few spy films. Yeah, in the MCU. That's why we're talking about it because we're not just talking about every film that comes out in the MCU. Um, I think this has a really solid spy plot running throughout. I thought so too. It was one that it obviously takes its influence from a lot of the uh, you know the Bond tropes that mm-hmm. we know quite well at this point in time, but it felt like it wasn't giving me things that I constantly expected. Um, it felt fresh enough. And just the characters they were plugging into it. When you're, you know, throwing in Rachel Weisz and, um, you know, David Harbour and Florence Pugh and all these other characters, they feel so unique as personalities that it really brought together what could have been kind of boilerplate material. And I think having the whole Ray Winstone plot, um, it felt different. I haven't seen that in a spy movie. Mm-hmm. So I was I was happy. I think if I have one complaint, um, we have this whole Black Widow force. Um, all of these uh, female assassins out there, we get bits and pieces of them. I would have liked to have seen maybe more of them as an organization, but maybe that's for future movies to do. You kind of get that at the start when Florence Pugh's on their team Mm -hmm. and then she gets sort of gassed. Um, So yeah, I could see maybe it'd be nice to see one more mission, see them as an effective fighting unit taking someone down. I can understand that. But, you know, as a, as a spy plot goes, you know, that they break into a base, there's, you know, different faces, subterfuge, espionage going on. I think it's a very successful spy film. It's probably about as successful as uh, The Winter Soldier. Mm, okay. In terms of a spy plot. Yeah, yeah. Maybe not an overall film. That's for another discussion. But I think this this does stand up against a lot of spy films. Is this one too much like Winter Soldier? Because obviously the the Winter Soldier slash Taskmaster stuff is pretty similar, pretty similar. You also have a villain who's sort of this uh, organizational head in that you had Ray Winstone and you had Robert Redford in that film. Um, Obviously, uh, Natasha Romanoff factors into both movies. 
there is a similarity going on between these two. And maybe this is just the fact we're at a point now where this many movies in Marvel kind of does it's, 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 you know, um, it's uh, variations on a theme, the way that Dr. Strange very, was kind of a variation on the Iron Man film. I, I would say against that and maybe defend this film a little bit with Winter Soldier that has its roots in the 70s sort of paranoid thriller spy films. You know, you don't know who you can trust. You think about the elevator scene, things like that. Um, whereas in this film, it's way more of a James Bond, all out bombastic action spy film. Yeah. And they're, they're different entities altogether. I, I think they can exist separately from each other. Yeah, I, I think they can too. It just, I watching it, I did start to very much note the similarities. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel like it was, you know, affecting my enjoyment. Um, I think they did that sort of story quite well both times. Um, just that it, there was enough similarities that you go, hmm, we kind of have the Marvel formula going, even though I think this one really felt like it was pushing against the Marvel formula in ways that most don't. A lot of the movies very much fall right within the confines of the Marvel formula. This one seemed like it was kind of butting up against it at times. Yeah, in that sense, this one reminded me of something like um, Thor Ragnarok or the Guardians films. It's just, it's just slightly out there. It's like a, it's like a ugly stepchild of the MCU in a way. Like it's just slightly different. It's, it's the, uh, it's the goth of the family. <laughs> You know, the edgy one. Speaking of goth, uh, Rachel Weiss's character, um, who's gets the probably the least dynamic member of the family, um, which was kind of unfortunate. I thought when Rachel Weiss was cast in this, we would get a little more fire out of her. Kind of like you know, in the movie The Favorite, you're like, oh man, they're gonna bring Rachel Weiss over to a Marvel movie coming off The Favorite. Like, what are we gonna get? She's fun. Um, I'd like to see more of her in a you know future movie. Um, but I did like when she had her. Um, fake heel turn she had like the dark villain eyeshadow that suddenly appeared <laughs> i was like oh wow we've gone full goth villain here <laughs> that made me laugh i did not notice that at all does that mean that uh the black widow scarlett johansson's black widow put the fake makeup on her fake mask oh that's an excellent question i don't know i don't know hmm. perhaps it will need another prequel to uh resolve that one um did you catch on though Rachel Weiss's character, we find out that her whole thing is mind control and, um, you know, training pigs to do tasks. Did you realize this woman is working with chems? <laughs> oh, no. What color were they? Were they blue? Were they green? Were they red? <laughs> I was like, that is two movies now that we've covered where Rachel Weiss is working with chems. <laughs> Where's Jeremy Renner? Oh, wait, he's Hawkeye. He's in this film. Mm, yeah it's connected um well speaking of and i suppose actually this is my last question and you know for those who haven't seen the end credits scene and don't want that spoiled maybe skip ahead five minutes but the end credit scene uh, sorry the post credit scene uh you see florence Pugh's character approach natasha romanoff's grave and she's approached by countessa from the falcon and winter soldier uh marvel tv show played by julia lewis dreyfus um, and she's given the task of killing Hawkeye. Mm-hmm. The question I have is, are we getting another Black Widow film, or is this all to do with the Hawkeye TV show? It's for the Hawkeye TV show, which meant I cared a lot less when they gave me that tag. Yeah, I, I, I worried you would say that. I hadn't looked into it, so that I will still watch that show, but um, yeah. I don't know if we're going to get a Black Widow 2. 
well, I don't know if we'll get a Black Widow 2, but I think Florence Pugh is probably going to get her own franchise. I don't think you're going to get her into this Marvel Cinematic Universe if you're not going to give her own movies. Would they not just call it Black Widow 2? They might. They could call it White Widow. I don't know which um, identity she's going to fall under. She's wearing like the white suit in this movie, so mm. maybe she carries that forward. I don't know. Um, I, I could... I don't know. I have a hard time imagining also them letting Rachel Weiss and David Harbour go. I think with those two characters, they just don't feel like one and dones to me. I think when you have that dynamic going with those three, they're going to want to continue that in some way. I also don't see them rocking up in the next Avengers film. No, no. Florence Pugh, maybe. Yeah. Um, oh, definitely. She'll end up working for S.H.I.E.L.D. or something. But yeah, I don't see David Harbour turning up and finally having a fight with Captain America, except Captain America is Falcon now. It's all very confusing. What's also confusing is that Black Widow um, was supposed to come into theaters before Falcon and Winter Soldier aired. So this would have actually been the first appearance of the Countessa from that show, right? Huh. <laughs> huh. Do you think that that's changed the, the credits, the, the, the tag? Do you think they reshot something? There was rumors that Julia Louis-Dreyfus was going to be in Black Widow. Okay. I mean, not that her appearance in Falcon Winter Soldier made any sense to me, a guy who's never read the comic books. It didn't make any sense to me. That's a newer character I'm not familiar with. And when I see a Marvel tag at the end of these movies in the past, I'm not going to say they were exciting. I wasn't like doing backflips down the aisles, but they were always fun because it teased what the next movie was going to be. And I have found Marvel TV to be so middle-of-the-road mediocre to this point. I haven't watched Loki yet, to be fair. I know people are enjoying Loki. I'll catch up with it when it's actually all done, and I'll just binge it all very quickly. But in terms of following week to week, I can't do it anymore. Not after WandaVision and Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So, like, so far, of the two shows I've watched, I found them just to be so, like, two-star programming Mm. that I have no excitement for more Marvel TV at this point. And so when you're teasing your next Marvel TV show in the credits of this movie, I'm like, don't care. I don't I don't mind it. I, I, I have been watching the Marvel TV shows week to week, but that's because I had the time to do so. I've never been particularly impressed with any of them apart from WandaVision. Loki is fun. It's, it's better than Falcon and Winter Soldier. But I, I still wonder how they managed to get Florence Pugh to do Hawkeye. That, that boggles my mind, apart from money. Sure. I mean, I think it is. I, I think it is just you're going to have your place in the Marvel universe. You're going to be getting your own movies. We'd love to get you into Hawkeye to flesh out your character some more. Um, sure. They're getting stars to do these shows. I mean, Mark Ruffalo is going to be on the um, She-Hulk show. So it's just kind of the blending of cinematic entertainment versus streaming content. And, uh, you know, it used to be a division between TV and film with actors. I don't think it is anymore. So it's just that's just going to be the way it is from now on. Okay. Well, final thoughts then. I saw it in the theaters. You saw it on your TV at home through Disney+. Plus. Mm-hmm. Uh, you paid money to see it. If you had the opportunity and the world was different, would you rather have seen this in the theaters or were you happy with watching it at home? What would you recommend to listeners? I'm a big proponent of going to the movies just in general. So I would have gone to see it. Although that said, I think it probably looked better for me because I would have had to have seen it in 3D in theaters and it would look like garbage because Marvel doesn't do good 3D on their movies. It's post-production stuff. So I think pretty much every Marvel movie I've seen for the last, I don't know, eight years or whatever it is, um, I've seen in 3D. And uh, so I don't know. This looked better at home. Why would I, 
I haven't seen a Marvel film in 3D since like Iron Man 3. What theater are you going to? Basically, if you go to Vancouver and you want to see it on the good screen, you're seeing it in 3D. It's, wow. You have no option whatsoever. Wow. Yeah, that, it, 3D has mostly disappeared now in, it, here in the UK. So. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, I mean, so from my perspective, you know, safety to one side, obviously, I think your safety comes first and how you feel personally about going to the theaters right now, that takes uh, priority. But if you're able to go safely and you feel comfortable going, I would recommend going to the local theater and, and seeing it there. I think much as I had two people talking behind me for the first half an hour of the film and then they left and never came back, which I don't know what that means for the film, but uh, hey-ho. But I, I always recommend going to see these films, especially action films, you know, blockbusters like this. If you can see it on the big screen, do so. I felt much more ripped off seeing Luca, the new uh, Pixar movie, on you know my TV at home versus a theater. It's crazy they're not even showing that one in theaters at all, period. Because I watch Luca and I'm like, this is a visual feast that would be amazing on the big screen. Marvel movies? Eh, they work either or. I just find they're not visually impressive enough to really wow me on the big screen. Well, there you go, folks. Obviously, we're not tackling the knock list on this episode. That's uh, We'll save that for down the line when we tackle some more of the Marvel films. But uh, it sounds like me and Cam both enjoyed it. And if you get a chance to check it out in theaters or if you have to at home, by all means, but do check it out. Yeah, for sure. Fun movie. Um, not top tier Marvel, but mid tier for me. Yeah. Uh, and a good send off for Scarlett Johansson. Definitely. Yeah. Although it's always weird to have a send off for your character that's all that's in a movie that's building up your replacement. Has that happened before in theaters? Uh, so has that happened before in cinema? I'm trying to think. Oh, I mean, I'm sure it probably has, but don't ask me to name them off the top of my head. It's like having a mutt in Indiana Jones 4. Oh, I got it. Actually, you know what? Um, There was Blade 3, which was all about setting up the Night Stalkers led by Ryan Reynolds and like Wesley Snipes totally got overshadowed in that movie. And that was sort of supposed to be the end of the Blade trilogy. Huh, I've completely forgotten about that. I should go back and revisit those films. So there you go, guys. Cam, what are we talking about next week? Well, we're going to die another day, Scott. We're going to hang out with Madonna and Halle Berry and party it up with Pierce Brosnan because we're going to close out the uh, Brosnan-era Bond film saga in style. We're going to shake up the system next week when we talk about Die Another Day. Uh, I I can't wait to listen to the Madonna song uh, Ad Nauseam. I'm actually listening to it right now. It's been playing in my headphones this entire recording. Uh, Yeah, just drowning me out. It's probably the best way to do it. Sigmund Freud. Analyze this. Well, guys, you can, of course, follow us discreetly on social media at SpyHards. That's S-P-Y-H-A-R-D-S on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are, of course, a proud member of Quite The Thing Media Podcast Network and Podbreed Podcast Network. But until next week, listeners... You may have thought that Black Widow had died in Endgame, but I think she's attempting re-entry. <laughs>